Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. By now, everyone knows that Dollar Shave Club ships amazing razors for a few bucks. I've been a member for a while now, and I love my shave. What you might not know, and I truly didn't know this, is that Dollar Shave Club also has products for pretty much everything I need in the bathroom. That means like body wash, shampoo, hair gel, lip balm, the whole deal. As soon as I heard Dollar Shave Club had stuff other than razors, I was totally sold. At the store, there are too many options, and you can't tell the difference between any of them. Then if you have any questions, the clerk, you know you know who they're hiring down there, they don't know the difference either, so they can't really help you. They're not experts on the products. But DSC makes it easy and convenient for you to upgrade your shave and your bathroom. Now you don't have to step foot in a store to get high-quality shave and grooming products. We'll deliver them right to your door. Just like their razors, everything is super high quality and left me looking and feeling amazing. From premium ingredients to sophisticated scents, DSC is changing the game. Now, if you're like me and sick of the nonsense at the store, now's the time to try out Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time only, DSC is basically giving away their starter set to new members for only five bucks. That's it. Five bucks. This starter set features their executive razor and three trial size versions of their most popular products that help you stay fresh and clean. In your first box, you will receive their shave butter. I've used it. I love it. Your face comes out feeling really soft. Their body wash and their one wipe Charlie's butt wipes. I'm not going to tell you if I've used those, but had I used them? You can probably hear me smiling right now. Though I am very much into the wipe experience, yeah. thanks to Howard Stern, okay. who talks about that all the time, right. where he had his kids, the baby wipes, and then the baby wipes stayed. He's right. <laughs> you will also receive their executive razor, which includes their premium weighty handle and full cassette cartridges. After the first box, replacement cartridges are sent only for a few bucks a month. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash spike for me. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash spike. Dollar Shave Club's high-quality products will have you covered from face cheeks to, that's right, butt cheeks. There is no better time to try the club. Now Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio. A downloadable Cars and Coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. All right, here we are, Spike's Car Radio, here in the 90210. We're not on the porch in Malibu, and I'm here with uh, someone I've wanted to talk to. I've been watching this show. I like this show. It's uh, It shows you what can be done in unscripted television that's different. It, it shows you. It shows, it shows all of these channels. I won't name them. History, Discovery, the rest of you guys who have this aging audience of people who are dying watching these old, tiny, unscripted shows. It shows you what's coming next. The show is called Adam Ruins Everything, and I'm here with Adam Conover. Hey, Hi, thank Adam. you so much for having me. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, I really do like your format. I, I love your show. I real thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's humorous. It's funny and it's informative and it's different. Most importantly, it's different. 
Thank you. I'm it, very happy about that it's different. Did you create this show? <laughs> yes, I did. You did? Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Where where do you come from? I, I don't know anything about you, Adam Conover. Sure. I was a uh, – I uh, grew up on Long Island, come from an academic family. Uh-huh. My, I'm the only member of my family who doesn't have a PhD, so uh-huh. I'm the I'm fuck up because I have a bachelor's <laughs> degree. Uh, I uh, – uh, uh, you know, I wanted to go to – I wanted to go on to grad school. Couldn't hack it. Too ADD. Couldn't handle the reading. Went into comedy instead. I was in a sketch group called Old English for many years. Sort of had some early so success wait, hold on. Let's in the pa- web world. Let's, let me hit the uh, pause button for sure. one second. Please. The uh, the parents are academics. Does yes. that mean teachers or what? Professors. What? Professors. professors. My, my, uh, or my father was a, a professor of marine biology at SUNY Stony Brook. Okay. And, uh, my mom is a PhD in botany, ran a science museum when okay. I was a kid. So, and you decide, I want to be in comedy. Yes. I love this moment. This is my favorite <laughs> as a parent and as a kid. Yeah. Right? So what, what do they say? What? How old are you when this happens and what do they say? Well, I had been doing comedy in my – College sketch group, you know, and we had a little bit of early success on the early web. Like we okay. had a couple, like, but they a thought you're go- they YouTube. thought you're going to college to do what? Uh, <laughs> I was going to a liberal arts college, so they were like, "You'll find it out on the way," you know. <laughs> right. Like they were always like, "Oh God, we hope he finds something," you know. Uh, so you are you the oldest? I am the oldest. And yeah. did they kind of write you off? Because my yes, parents did that. Yeah, yeah, my parents did that to me. They said, "Let's focus on Wally, the number two, because <laughs> this guy, his head is somewhere. We don't know where it is, but we know it's in a bad place." <laughs> so you you announced to them, you know, I've I uh, in college pretty it, late. In college, I started doing comedy, and then my second or third year after college, I was in New York, and I was oh, I was doing some. I had a full time job as a web developer, which is pretty good at the age of twenty two or yeah. whatever. I was making. Wow, $35,000 a year. So I had benefits, though, you know, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, but you work with computers. Yeah, exactly. But Mom I told them are very happy. I quit the job in order to make videos on our website, on my <laughs> on my sketch group's website. And, and that was the moment at which they could have said, we're going to disown you. And instead they were like, okay. You know, like they let me sort of take that risk. They did. and uh, Yeah, and it was it was a moment of, of their neutrality was support in that moment, you know. And, and – uh... I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know. When my parents wrote me off, it was such a relief to just go, all right, I, I, you finally realize I'm going to do whatever I want to do, right? Did you feel the same way at that moment? Or a little, you... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, you know. Uh, Your parents, they, they it, it sounds like they did it right. They go, whatever. They put it all on your yeah. shoulders, and well, then you feel that. And The worst they ever did was earlier in, you know, when I sort of, like I said, I sort of want, I wanted to go to grad school for philosophy. Thank God I didn't, but that's what I, because I was in love with ideas. And, and, you know, learning and, and asking big questions and stuff like that. And I was like, I want to do this forever. I want to go to grad school. And just everyone I talked to is sort of like, ah, like, including my parents. They were like, do you really? And I was like, what? You guys have PhDs. Why don't, you know, why right. aren't you being encouraging? And so it was just that sort of soft, you know, ah, maybe don't uh, dream so big, kid, you know, in a weird way. And for whatever reason, when, when I started doing comedy, uh, seriously, uh, and you know, we did it seriously in college. But then there was a m- moment of like, okay, let's really make a go of it. That they were, that they were like, okay, you know, they were like, all right, let's see what, let's see what happens, you know. But it was, it was. But at you're that not point, making any money doing that. No, but you're. I mean, but there is a sort of, you know, I was. Are in you New living York. with your parents at that point? No, I was in New York. I was. Uh, well, how are you uh, supporting yourself? 
Um, I was doing freelance video editing and and okay. web development and so stuff you're that like that. Guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I got the sketch comedy troupe. There's and... a lot of people like you know. I I mean, I spent ten years in New York. I I only left that life you know a couple right. of years ago. But it got yeah. you know back when I did that, and my way of doing it was waiting tables and bartending. Mm-hmm. It was possible still to rent an apartment in New York City. Yeah. Like my rent on the Upper West Side was $380, <laughs> which is really expensive for this yep. pretty much a closet. Yep. But I was able to, you know, intern at live and then wait tables and eat. Yeah. Right? And write jokes. That's all I did. That was my life. Nowadays, I don't understand how you do it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, does the sketch comedy true, but ever, at any point, does it break open and you're making money? Or? I mean, also, my... Of the sketch group that I was in uh, was a group called Old English, and I spent about five years in this group. And we actually were making money for a period because there was this early we- uh, web video boom. This was 2006, and mm-hmm. this is when we qu- when I quit my web development job. And we're like, let's make videos all summer. And then a couple months after that, we started making a video a day, basically. And then six months later, we went to the Aspen Comedy Festival, and then we we got a deal making videos for this site called Super Deluxe, it, which is recently relaunched mm-hmm. the Turner site. It only listed it only this, this website existed for like a year and a half to two years. They signed us up to a contract to make thirty six videos. Uh, we spent like two years making these videos, and then some. And they were just throwing money at, at sketch groups, and then some, you know. Vice President or President at Turner walked by and we were like, what the hell are you guys spending money on? How much money did you blow? What's your plan? And pulled the plug on the whole thing. Like you're in throwing, a day. I'm sorry, you're throwing money at sketch groups? That's what they were doing. I've never there, heard that phrase there was this before. Weird, I mean, talk to anybody who was doing comedy in New York in 2006. And, right. and they'll remember that there was money getting thrown at people. I was doing it in L.A. So. Now, wait. So so pretty much whatever you're saving, you're, still it's not real money, right? So if they yeah. give you 50 grand, it's, it's whatever you save making yeah. your videos yep. that you guys get to split yep that still doesn't sound like significant we, cash we lived off of it we it was enough for us to all for us five guys to live off of for about two years okay and then that that website uh was canceled the group kind of broke <laughs> up i started teaching sketch comedy okay. at ucb oh great and doing in new york freelance or in work. la uh, new york it's all still in new york yeah wow um and i started doing stand-up then uh you know i because uh, i had always sort of had a little bit of an inkling to and i was like all right now the group's no longer together. I'll go and I'll I'll do that really regularly. And how was that know? transition? I mean, sketch to stand up. It was pretty good. I mean, I had a little bit of you know performance uh, uh, chops. You know, I, I I was a little bit more comfortable on stage than your average you know twenty mm-hmm. one uh, year old dope. Um, and uh, uh, and you, you know, could but act it was out still your jokes clearly a little what, bit. Yeah. What were your What was your that first uh, stand up set like? What did you oh, do? God. Did you write oh, stuff God. down? Did what you? a What a horrible question. I mean. <laughs> There were a couple times I remember. This was before I started doing it. Seriously, well, this, 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 this is, is like, where expectation meets reality. That's why yeah. I asked the question. It is a horrible moment. Yeah, but it's a very interesting moment. To well, me. it's so funny how when you do stand up and you know when you actually start doing it seriously and do it every day, mm-hmm. it's a real, it's a true crucible. You know, in the classic sense of a crucible, where like you know things are burned away and what is pure remains. You know, because you can go in with whatever idea you have on the first time, <laughs> right. right? But then if you, you know, people will say, "Oh, how do I?" Get starting to stand up it's like just go up and do it right because you you cannot pre-learn anything you have to learn it on stage and by the time you've done you know 20 open mic sets you will your original what you did the very first time you've thrown it all away you're not doing anything like that anymore Mm -hmm. you know um so you know i remember i was doing really conceptual this is so this is a humiliating one of the mention. and then will give us some ac in here we're dying already <laughs> you know it's like 120 <laughs> degrees outside and you're cooking us in here thank you will 
I had this horrible idea where I, I did, the very first time I did stand up, I, w- I was like, I'll be a character. And this is so stupid. I was like, hey, I was a guy. I, w- I went up as a tree doctor, like someone who like treats trees. And the bit was that I hated bushes. And so I was roasting bushes. I don't remember any of the jokes. I just remember this being such a terrible. And I did that in the basement of a taco place in Midtown. Oh, God. Or I think Maui Taco or is what it was called. And how many people are sitting out there? Just a, it, Oh, it's like five comics. You my know, recollection like, is exactly right. Five other comics with yeah. little pads. And they're just waiting to get up yep. on stage so they can do that. And nobody's laughing. Yeah. And Right. But I lo- I honestly I don't miss open mics like I don't I, I don't I don't entirely miss it right uh, obviously some things about it are shitty are you, you doing stand up now I do do stand up now I don't but I I no longer am able to keep up you know what I did for about five years hey I'm gonna do five five to seven sets a week and I don't right. give a shit if if it's a book show or if it's an open mic I'm doing those sets and so you know the New York open mic scene is so. Uh, there's a lot of bad things about it, you know, it can be very poisonous, etc. People can be really mean to each other, but it's like, there's such a camaraderie between all the people doing it, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, people really are doing it seriously, you know, like, there's a lot of, you know, I, I know so many, you know, great comics who came out of that scene just like five, seven years ago, Mike Lawrence, M- Mark Norman, Sean Donnelly, all these great comics, Michelle Wolf, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was such a cool feeling to get, you know, get up there and go, you know, every night and, and really just try to make, you know, trying to make other comics laugh is harder, you know, especially because right, a lot of them are assholes. Right. But if you can, it's really good training. If you can make an open mic crowd laugh and pay attention to you, you know, because you have to get over this barrier of, um, cause if you go to three open mics a night, which a mm-hmm. lot of people do in New York, the barrier becomes not can I make the crowd laugh? It's can I make them look up from their phones? Because right. because people or can I make them stop talking in the back of the room and pay attention to me? Yes. Can I can I like get people? How do I get people's attention and just get them to buy me as someone on stage? Because seventy five percent of all the people going up are just wasting everyone's time. Now, what, so what do you do now when you go on stage? How much time do you do now? I mean, now I can you know now I I, now I what's do your act I've never and, seen you yeah. perform stand up. What are you talking about? Your life or it, you? you talking about it's exterior in, life what what's your it's thing? interesting well i do i do sort of two types of shows last year um you know adam ruins everything is an informational mm-hmm. show um and so last year we did an election special on true tv which is opposed to me playing a character in this sort of sketch comedy world it was you know a live show and mm-hmm. so i'm just myself hey i'm I'm Adam Conover, and like here's a bunch of stuff we learned about you know um, the history of Americans' elections, America's elections, history of our political system, how our political system works, etc. And so it was like this sort of like live comedy TED talk. It was uh, right, we, right. We, the longest version that. was about an hour, and then we sort of cut it down to 41 minutes as we toured it. That was really fun, and that sort of like translating uh, the show on into a stand-up act, uh, into a much in the way yeah. I guess Bill Maher does. You know, takes yeah. his point of view from his show and does it. In and so that's one type of live show that I do, but that requires a lot. Lot of writing to to do that show. It requires research <laughs> and a lot and of writing. Remember, how do you remember it all? Um, I don't mean, you want? Do you work from a prompter when you're recording your show? I don't work from a prompter. You don't. I, I have a I have a pretty weird and good ability to look at a page of words. It helps oh, when I've written the words. Right, but right. Look at a page of words, like a paragraph. Say it a couple of times. Then when the camera's rolling, the first time's a stumble through. By the second or third time, I've got yeah, it. Yeah, that's how it works. And right. that's just like some people. I work with tons of actors. Some amazing actors with terrible memories can't. You know, will, yes. will, can, cannot remember a, a line that's longer than than you know ten fifteen words long, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them for that. It's just like something I can do, and all I can say is like, hey, I wrote a show around what I was good at. You know, right, like I'm right. able to 
remember big chunks of dialogue, and I can I can remember like twenty to twenty five percent, or you know, uh, or go oh, almost twenty three percent of this <laughs> a study showed in nineteen ninety two, and I can I can do yeah, that. Yeah, and there's no repeatedly. audience, and you can stop and you can go, yeah. and you're the executive producer. I take it. Yes, good. Yes. Let Let me ask you how you created the show. How do you get from this sketch guy who's sure. maybe doing stand up to actually getting a show on television? Because the bar these days is impossibly high. Yeah. Right? Especially if you're going to host it and you're yes. going to executive produce it. And, and especially if it's going to be on, you know, we're very lucky to be on basic cable. You right. know, like like True TV, incredible partner. Right. Perfect place for the show. And the only – and the big thing is they're the only show, channel – in the you know the basic package, the seventy-five channel package, not the two hundred channel package. <laughs> next the skinny to, bundle, we call that. Yeah, exactly. The yes. skinny bundle, the normal bundle, the one with all the channels you've heard of, <laughs> right? Where you're not like, what the hell is cooking television? Right. It's like you know all the regular ones. True TV is was the only uh, network where you look at it and you're like, this is a network that'll take a risk on a new show. Right. Every other show, the ones you mentioned, History Discovery, they're, they're like, hey, if it's we pitch them. Let hey, me tell you what our guys, research shows. Yeah. Right. First yeah. of all, Adam, yes. you have glasses. You do not fit in. Yeah. Let me tell <laughs> your beard, you ha- you're unshaven but you don't have a beard. You seem smart. <laughs> you're too smart for our audience. They don't want to think. <laughs> I hear I this constantly, constantly. They're so – and it's such a short-sighted strategy yeah. because these people are going to die. You're talking about old people. I told <laughs> – They die, and then they stop watching you. You need to put something behind that. We met, we met an executive who – this British guy, loved the show, and he said uh, – uh, I, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I will. I, was, I, I actually oh. don't remember which network it was. But um, I'm gonna guess right now. Uh, the guy, the guy's like he's, Simon he's, Cowell. He's like, oh, I love your show. I, oh, sorry, we had done videos on the web. <laughs> I know right? who this is. Go so, ahead. So he said, I love, I love the, I love the videos. Very good. Um, but here's the problem: our audience is guys in Idaho wearing Wrangler jeans. Yep. And how do we make this work for them? And I was like, this is bizarre. This motherfucker's never met anyone wearing Wrangler <laughs> no, jeans. He he's, not. he's from London. He lives in L.A. Yep. You know, and it's just like. My approach is like, hey, if you uh, like, if you I like just the met show, with this guy, I know exactly who you're talking oh, about, man. and I heard this speech. I'm not going <laughs> to out you right now, but it's what I'm yelling about. It's, so, it's, it's so, you can't you can't make TV like that. Yeah, you can't make it based on your audience in a demographic research and, and survey. your weird understanding of them. Because I was like, look, man, if you like the show, right. put it on TV. Exactly. And guess what? Here's the thing. And I'll, and by the way, the audience will find that show. Yeah. If you leave it on there, yeah. and then you'll have a new audience. And a lot of people said, and these are people in L.A., when we went and pitched the show, something we heard from multiple networks was, it's too coastal. They would, now, did you pitch it by yourself or with a studio? With uh, so A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people bit. who listen, a lot, and I'm sure you get this yeah. too, they have ideas, and they yes. don't even know how this stuff happened. Did you take it into a studio first, what, and then to a network? What happened was, I was a sketch writer at College Humor, uh, which is wonderful. Like my, well, That was literally my dream job. When I went from being a stand-up comic, you know, like my sketches mm-hmm. were broken up, so I'm a stand-up comic, I'm doing open mics, and then I got a gig at College Humor writing sketches. That place is a sketch comedy writer's dream, especially if you're, you know, I was making, you know, salary, you know, benefits, like secure money wow. for the first time in years. But also, my only job is to write two sketches a week. Mm-hmm. And there, this brilliant guy, Sam Reich, runs the video department there. I owe this guy my career. <clears throat> he, um, you know, he really puts the writers in charge. So mm-hmm. it's the writer is like the executive producer of the sketch. So you get to overrule the director. You get, you get to give notes on the edit. And, you know, if, if the room agrees your idea, your sketch is funny, then it's going into production, you know. So it's really, it's really like how 
you know, comedy should be written from a writer's mm-hmm. perspective. And so I have, I had been an information sponge my whole life. Um, you know, just like, uh, I, you know, again, I like the, you know, learning and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And I, so I'm just the kind of guy, you know, I read the New Yorker every week. I listen to podcasts in my car. Like I'm an audio book guy, you know, it's, I don't read fiction. I just suck up information. And I was just, the, I was just repeat information, you know, like I would literally at parties and stuff, you know, oh, you got an engaged ring. Well, let me tell you the truth about that. People are like, oh my God. Right. So, but the engage, our original engagement ring story about how the engagement ring was a marketing creation by the De Beers Corporation. Right. Which is true. I had read that like five or six years previous, and the idea stuck with me because it was so like revelatory, like holy shit. And I started telling that story in my stand-up act. And I noticed when I did that, the whole challenge with stand-up is like, how do I get anyone to care, you know, about what I'm saying? Like, like it's after a while you realize you can make people laugh, but how do you make them do anything more than laugh? You know what I mean? Like like uh, there's a million people out there who can make people laugh, and I'm never gonna make people laugh as hard as Sean Donnelly, my friend, does because he's one of the funniest people on the earth. You know what I mean? Like he will make you, you know, hold your sides and belly laugh and hurt. Um, uh, so once I started, you know, giving people this information as well, you know, like did you know this? I realized I could hear the audience sort of shifting in their seats and like leaning forward and going like, huh? You know, people mm-hmm. come up after, mm-hmm. after you know, and say, is that really true? Oh my god! Or they come, or they come to another show and they say, I looked that up. That's actually true. Oh my. God. So I'm writing two sketches a week at College Humor at the same time I'm doing this. Um, and so uh, I write a – I was like, okay, I'm going to write a sketch based on the same idea. We'll do the same thing, but it will be a comedy sketch. And uh, the thing I did was, you know, on the show – my character, my character is, you know, always like all the other characters are going like, oh, why are you? Ta- you're so annoying. Like, get out of here. You know, <laughs> the reason I wrote it that way, the very first sketch I wrote that way was I, w- I was worried about the other writers in the room making fun of me for being pedantic. If I brought in this script about the engagement ring, they'd be like, oh my god, you're such a killjoy. This is so right. This is so ranty. So I just literally wrote two of the other writers into the script, making going making fun of me, going, oh, why do you have to do this? Oh, I like I in see, order I to see. get ahead of them making fun of me in the writer's room. Right. So I wrote their reaction in, and that turned out to be the, the comedy engine for the whole series. So so that's what you took in that sketch yeah, and uh, said, let's do this as a series? We, we had done, we did the first one, and College of America just moved us all out to L.A. because they <clears throat> want to make TV shows. Mm-hmm. And we made the first one, and we were all just kind of like, oh, this would be a good pitch. So we made a couple more. Uh, uh, you know, funded by College Humor, went up on College Humor's site. Oh, and the, and the first one, by the way, it was a hit. You know, it was uh, right, right. It, it it didn't just it got good views. You know, other other sketches get views too, but it got pickup. You know, it got like on a couple different sites. Right. And the critical thing was to me, I was like, it got picked up by like Huffington Post or whatever. You know, the kind of places, blogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, World Star Hip Hop picked it up. <laughs> Seriously, World Star Hip Hop put it on their website, and it got like about a million views just from World Star Hip Hop. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like something. If it you know, if it's not just yeah. the same types of place, you know, those are two very different demographics, HuffPo and WorldStar. So um, we did those. We made, you know, we made a couple of videos, and then we started bringing it around to networks. You know, to networks. And we just did, you know, hey, we just pitched it around. Town. Was it we only just... True TV that was interested, or were there other networks so interested in it? Everywhere said, uh, you know, we are. Uh, we <laughs> got very positive reactions. They would say, hey, we love the show, um, or this is great. But it's, and then they would say, you know, Wrangler G 
jeans. Or And they would say, but it's too coastal. They would say, this is only going to play in Brooklyn and L.A. And the thing is, they were dead wrong about that. Where does it play? It plays now that every, it's on it, TV, pl- where does it play? play well, it plays on t- Tuesdays at True TV <laughs> at right. 10 p.m. No, but, but I mean but the it, audience. What audience watches this show? I mean, it, Everybody it is, watches it, It is right? really cross-generational and cross-cultural. We did a tour. Oh, I guess the executives were wrong. They were wrong, They yeah. were wrong. They, it, we, we toured it last year. We did Are our election special. Are you listening, executives? Are you learning You know, I feel about like you've this? got a little anger. <laughs> I, it's not anger. I get fr- yeah. frustrated no. because I have a production company and yes. I have people like yourself come in and I take these ideas in and I hear dumb people tell me why <laughs> th- it's not going to work. Having worked on yeah. many of these shows, Seinfeld yes. or early yes. – any of these shows where I, I've heard the same goddamn yes. speech, yes. right? The, the, Every idea should not be evaluated based on the demographic. It should yeah. be based on the idea. And they're doing this is so fresh much. and this new. And I imagine when you came in, every executive should say, "I haven't heard this before." Yeah. And that should have been their aha moment. Yep. Wait, you know and, what? This is different. And that's why they all. We could tell even if we hadn't. If no one had picked it up. I would right. be like, hey, they all liked it. No one was right. bored. Everyone was into it. But yeah, I mean, like we, we when we toured the election special last year, um, we did uh, I think thirteen to fifteen cities. We went from you know across the country, um, everywhere from like de- you know Detroit to Texas. We did three shows in Texas to Pennsylvania to L.A. and we sold out every city. And everyone, every, you know, there was a line to, you know, we did photos after the show. Right. There was a line, and people would come up in every city and say, I love your show. It's the only show that my whole family watches together. <laughs> they would say, good. I watch it with my kids. And that's not what we expected. Like, anyway, well, just you know, in case people haven't seen the show, because we haven't even done that, <laughs> just give us the quick synopsis. How, what is the show? How does it work? So it's a, it's a I call it an informational sketch comedy show. Um, you know, it, the, the way it works is uh, there's a different uh, character in every single episode who we call the Mark, who's someone who has a misconception about the world. You know, it's um, someone who says, oh, giving, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to donate uh, canned food to my food drive uh, because uh, that's, that's what they need. And then I pop up <laughs> and I say... Actually, that's not true, and they're like, oh, my God, who are you? And I bother them, right? right so I sort okay. of play this heightened version of a TV host who's, you know, uh, who, it's it's basically like, you know, if you were to watch a it, – it, like, it's it's a classic, you know, informational TV host who's telling you about the world, except the other person is going like, oh, my God, this guy's annoying. Um, and that's the comedy <laughs> engine of the whole thing. And, 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 the and you're broad interrupting topics, with these, these, these truths behind yes. these beliefs that we have about things, right? Yes. It's, it, so the, with the engagement ring, it was – the, it was an ad campaign, yep. and then people forgot about the ad campaign. And but now we still have engagement. We rings still today. believe this to be an old tradition. The whole it's really idea not. of three months salary, two months salary—that was literally just something the Beers Corporation really? came up with. That yeah. was in the ad. Oh yes. my god! And next, so, you're going to tell me Mother's Day is fake. I mean, yeah, we did a little segment on that one. Um, uh, though I believe the woman who came up with Mother's Day wa- later wanted it to be abolished because it w- became so commercial and she hated it. Uh, but so she was holding it back, just like. Ray Kroc and the original McDonald's guys. <laughs> Those two guys were holding Ray Kroc back. Just so let we, it live. We very broadly we debunk common misconceptions, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's most of our segments. But there's also just somewhere we just tell you, 
you know, a truth about the world. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, we've done it. We did an episode on like the, you know, our horrible, you know, prison system, for instance, where right. there are some misconceptions in there. But a lot of it is just like this is some stuff. What are you some need misconceptions about our prison system? Do you remember? I mean, uh, one is, you know, one is the rise of private prisons and and what that, uh, you know, the effect that that has on people. Uh, the biggest one uh, that's the most impactful, I think, is that um, uh, solitary confinement is really should be considered a form of torture. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at what it does to people, it's it, it's uh, uh, inhumane enough to that we should consider it what torture. What goes wrong in that situation? I mean, people just uh, the uh, really fundamentally, humans are social animals. You know, we we uh, you know our need to communicate with others is up there with eating and drinking, and so it just fundamentally changes people's brains. Like it shows up on brain scans. You know that that people's brains sort of shut down. You know, mm-hmm. and so some are able to survive it and come out of it fine, but some people it just it just drives them insane. It ruins yeah, it, it wow. really it really, and they come out and they. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, they they harm themselves, or they you know commit suicide, or they you know they they have PTSD. There's a case of a kid, this kid Khalif Browder, who wasn't even convicted of a crime, but was put in solitary confinement, awaiting trial, and mm-hmm. he uh, he was in he was awaiting trial for three years, and he was in solitary confinement for much of that, and he was never even. Uh, uh, convicted of the crime, but he ended up killing himself. Um, this is a, a, a case in, in New York. Um, so it's, you know, and it's this thing that we never think about, right? So our, uh, because the whole thing about the prison system is it's invisible to us, you know, um, the, to those of us who are not in prison. That's kind of the whole point. That's our you entire know? listening audience, by yeah. the way. This is, this is prison podcasting. <laughs> so <laughs> that's who podcasting so our, goal is to, our goal is to spread the hidden truths about the world right. and to uncover the things that we don't think about. So, and guess so what? Wait, Everyone's so wait, now you're in that. your second season right now. You just wrapped yeah. up your second season yep. and launched it in July. Mm-hmm. What was it like? You're coming into a TV show, yeah. you know, without any real experience producing a TV show. Yeah. You're executive producing by yourself, or do you have someone? You know, I've got keeping... exe- I, I've got executive producers with me who who come from. I mean, it was a team effort. But your 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 college humor. You guys are doing yeah. a different kind of thing. You're in an office. You're making videos. You're editing your stuff, and now you walk into a TV show. What were the challenges of of shooting a show and running a show? It's a good question. Um, you know, uh, there is uh, a the big challenge for me is I am used to. Uh, up until that point, you know, you want to make good work, right? You don't have money, so what? Are the, what's the other thing? You have time, mm-hmm. right? So you sink your time and your your effort into the work. You know, if I'm designing a web page in my 20s, or if I'm making a sketch video, you know what I mean? I'm going to work on it harder than than anybody else, and you know, just like look at every single little bit, you know, in order to make it good. And that's also college humor's. You know, that was our ethos towards making things. Mm-hmm. Like the thing, the thing about college humor is the videos that. We made were never cheap or crappy. They were – I mean even when they were cheap, they were good. They looked right, better than anything right. else on the web. And so that was the approach that we took towards making the show that I was like, I want the show to be good in every single possible way. Right. So I want every episode not only to have – you know be factual and be funny but also to have a storyline and to be beautiful to look at and to be you know quick moving and et cetera. And um, the thing is, when you're making our first year, we made 11, or we made 12, including the pilot. Our se- uh, you know our uh, second batch, we made 14, and then ju- we just finished making 16. Those are you know three orders across two seasons. Um, but you're making so many episodes, you know, if you just try to put maximum effort into every single one on an individual level, you burn yourself out pretty quick. Right. So right. it's a ch- so the main <clears throat> challenge is going from a world where in stand up. You know, it's all you. You know, you can perfect it. 
yourself. It's right. The, the, but you are walking the only project. into network executives. Yeah. The, you're hiring staff. I mean, you know, yes. what, what, what was that like? You know, where you realize I can't quite move as quickly, like you're saying, yeah. as I thought I could now. I'm also having to operate in a political landscape, yes. dealing with a lot of different yes. elements, a lot of different departments, the PR departments, and people who are used to calling it shots. Was, it was challenging. Luckily, uh, the two things that made it, you, you know. You don't seem like a guy who's going to get upset. <laughs> I don't start get, screaming at people. I don't get upset. No. I, I don't get upset. I'm pretty. I'm pretty even. I mean, I get like worried. Well, I'm or sure I get you were given anxious, bad but... notes at some point. And, yep. and how did you navigate that stuff? What was your <laughs> What was your strategy? Because I'll tell you mine. Mine's like if I can get maybe 75 percent of my vision on right. on camera on the screen, that's about as good as I'm going to do, and yeah. then I'll earn the rest. Right with success, yep. I'll be able to say no. Eventually. Well, the the what no, was your formula? Let's see. Uh, there's a, there's a couple <laughs> elements to it. One is that you know I uh, you know believe strongly in what in what I want to do, and if I'm really sure about something, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna back right. down on okay. it. You know? And very luckily, you know, so you have some diplomacy humor. in that moment when. Say again? Well, we all believe that, but in yes. that moment with the executive, you have d- diplomacy. Is that what you're doing? Well, when I'm telling you, no, I'm not sure. I want the the word ruin in the title of your show. <laughs> it, it, the testing it wasn't didn't come back good on ruin. Yeah, because people think you're ruining things. There's definitely there's definitely. Uh, are you patient uh, with them? Y- yes, you, uh, are. you have to do a lot of diplomacy. You're absolutely right. And like sometimes you say, okay, I'm going to give them this one, mm-hmm. or sometimes they give a bad note and you say. Okay, what if I just change the whole thing? I'm not going to do what they suggest, but right. I'm going to make it totally different right. so that it seems like the note is being taken, right. but I'm going to still doing it my way, right? But then, you know, with a couple of the notes, you get to a point where, you know, you have to say, no, we're just not going to do this one, you know? And very luckily, uh, the, uh, you know, my other EPs at College, you know, College Humorous Production Company produces the show, they, like, totally had my back on it, you know? So they would go to, you know, we had, we sort of built a system in place for where it's like, okay, if we really got to say no to this, then we're going to call them up or we're going to escalate and how do right, we do right, that? Right, 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 right. And, and they're going to have my back on it, et cetera. Fantastic. So, so that that was that was really really critical. Where where if I was if I said, hey guys, you know, oh, oh you know, key art came in for the for the you know the premiere ads, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and it misrepresents the show. Okay, we're gonna circle up and figure out how to go back to the network and right. and get that fixed. And that, you know, the first year you you learn how to deal with each other, mm-hmm. and now. Now I, I don't really, I don't get bad now it's notes. great right yeah no, because I get it. You because it's, it out. we've got a really good relationship yeah you, you know? figure so, out the relationships and where everything works I, but I get it. like That's good you're totally right that a huge amount of it and I think the difference between a, a comedian who's able to go on and become a producer right, right. is the ability to navigate the the politics of it right, like true right. politics like helping knowing that there's there's a, an executive and they're telling you something and you don't like what they're saying but you got to think. Hey, uh, you know what? What is it that they're trying to accomplish? How are they trying to save their skin? Exactly. And how can I make their life easier while still getting what I want? That's like true. You can drug them. <laughs> That's like true politics, can, right? It is. So but, well, you're, I, you're operating a political landscape and a creative yeah. landscape at the same time, and, and for, that's what a lot of people don't know. Fortunately, but, I was able to pick up on how to on how to do great. that. That's great. 
And so I'm not the best at it, but I also have people I work with who are better at it than me. Right. And I can and say, they'll hey, protect you. what do you think we should do? Should we, you know, who should we call about this? Or yes. how hard can we push on this? Do we have leverage in this situation? Yes, no. Okay, we got to give it on this one, but, you, you know, go. et cetera. But then you're, when I, you're you know. custom made for television. You're going to do very well, Adam. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We're here with Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything in a Minute. Adam's going to ruin cars. <laughs> Hey, say you're in the market for a new car, but you don't want to step into the dealership and feel uncomfortable. Well, guess what? That's why there's True Car. With True Car, you'll see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want before you even step foot in the dealership. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to their dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. You want to feel confident because if, if they smell weakness on you, you're dead. Right, Matt? They, they smell weakness on you, you're dead. It's like blood in the water. Blood in the water. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. True Car users can save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And remember, take it from me, Spike. You're going to remember this experience every time you drive your new car, so you want it to be a good experience. True Car. Do you want to help keep my podcast stay free to download with minimal ads? You know I want that. I can only assume that you want that too. Too many commercials is a drag. Well, do me a favor and take a quick listener survey to help support the show. Your responses will help align the appropriate advertisers to my audience. And don't worry, the survey is short and completely anonymous and takes no more than five minutes. Just go to www.podcastone.com backslash my survey or go to www.podcastone.com and click the survey banner. It's easy. If you filled the survey out in the past, thank you, but we still need you to do it again. You're doing all of us a huge favor by filling it out. Thank you for supporting the show and taking the time to complete the survey. Don't forget to vote Zuckerman off the island. Now go get on that survey. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. All right, we're back with Adam Conover. Hello. From Adam Ruins Everything. And I, I saw, you know, in my research, I do vast research on all of my guests, um, Google search, and <laughs> Adam Ruins Cars came up. Yeah. And I have not seen this episode. Oh, okay. But it, it said you ruined uh, the dealership. Uh, tell yep. me tell me about that episode because I think the audience would love to hear about this. So I uh, – uh, that was the third episode of the show we ever did. Wow. Right um, away. I, uh, I've got a real, like <laughs> – are you a big car guy? I am. At all? I'm an anti car guy. <laughs> You're an anti car guy. I hate cars. What? I actually just. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I hate them. I hate being in them. I hate driving. Why? Uh, Tell well, me why. Okay, what well, happened to you? I, <laughs> well, first of all, I, grew I hate up, being in them. First of all, yeah, I don't like being in them. Right. I. 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 I, uh, I grew up. I grew up in New York. I. Um, uh, yeah, we I, heard you're an academic family, but you had yes, to yes, get yes. to the grocery store. I've so I've always had. First of all, I I did not learn to drive in high school um, because I have I have that's bad, common. I have bad York. I have bad eyesight, right? right? And so I've I've always <clears> like there was something. It was harder for me than other kids. My okay. dad 
and mom were terrible teachers. Um, like they were just like we. Had, it was like a. Full, my sister didn't learn either. It was like a total family failure to learn in high school. But don't you have so driver's to, ed? Don't you go to a school for that? It was so. It, my school did not really have driver's ed. It was really <laughs> weird. It was really weird. I had the weirdest experience where. So I took an after-school driver's ed program, and I still can't explain this to this day. I took an after-school driver's ed program. The first half they just teach you in the you know you're sitting down they're teaching you the you know the rules from the handbook right mm-hmm. to take the written test or whatever. Then it's time to go out and drive. So I'm in the in the car with these four other, you know, or three other, uh, you know, meathead Long Island kids and then the gym teacher or whatever, right? I love that. And I realized for some reason, I don't understand why this is, but everybody else in the class already knew how to drive and was just taking the class because, like, they had to get some qualification. I was the only person who did not know how to drive at all. My kids, my nine and my seven-year-old both know how to drive. You're nine already, and you're seven year old. Yes. You seem to be a car guy. <laughs> no, I, th- I, when I was young, I just begged my dad to let me drive always, and he just, he yeah. never really did. And I don't want to be that guy. So, I love, I love. Uh, so they did, but but you you bring up this really interesting point that I've totally forgotten about with Mister Monastere. This this uh, learning how to drive is hard enough. Yeah, to, but to be in the front seat with one of your teachers, yeah. and then a bunch of random yeah. kids behind you. And, Talk about pressure. And that's the thing is is the the teacher did not expect me to have no you know, like he was he was like, Oh, you don't know anything? Okay, that's the gas. And then I was one count of five yeah, and we kids did that going, session. Oh, what is this? Yeah. You know, I'd be in back going, I'm gonna die today. And we did that Con session. Over's like, here. He's behind the wheel. We only did that like five times. I only had fifteen minutes behind the wheel, so I just like didn't learn from that experience. Then I went to college where I didn't I didn't have so any you learned nothing? Garden. Yeah. I learned Zero. nothing in the class, and then I spent my twenties in New York City, where where right. I, I was like, God, I have to learn to drive at some point. Did you drive but, here today? Uh, I uh, uh, True PR sent a car for me today. <laughs> oh, there I see you're nodding out yeah. there. <laughs> so you still don't drive? No, no, I do. When uh, so I didn't learn to drive for the ten years I lived in New York because how how where would I how would I even do it? You know, right, like right. like you'd have to I'd have to take a driving test in like Queens. No way. Yeah, you don't have to worry. So about So I it came in New York. to L.A. when I finally moved to L.A. three years ago. That is when I learned to drive, mm-hmm. and I do drive now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I uh, I hate it, and I learned to drive, and I made my peace with it. What you know, kind of drive. I spent three. I, a dawdler in the in the left lane. I'm a very just... careful, slow driver. <laughs> uh, I I follow all the rules, but like I'm, that's good. You know, I'm, I like that. And I, you know, I drove. I I drove. You know, uh, for you know, to and from work. You know, forty five minutes each way, commuting. You know. Uh-huh. Um, it, like, and I gave it a real go. And then this last year I was like, you know what? I hate this. I really hate it. It makes me unhappy. It makes me tense. Wow, it makes com- me, you're the complete opposite. It of makes me, me uncomfortable. This. Right. And, and I literally started taking the bus to work because I found out there was a bus that got, people mm-hmm. in LA don't do this. They just, they My don't look to see. My wife takes the bus. She takes the trains. She loves yeah. that stuff. I love it. And when we, you know, me and my girlfriend, you know, we're, Not me. it's always say, hey, maybe we'll move. You know what I mean? And right. my only thing for where I want to live within a 15-minute walk of an L.A. subway station. Right. Um, you uh, do know we have earthquakes here, right? Yeah. And what this, about them? This tunnels, these tunnels traverse tunnels the fault are, lines. I think tunnels are safe in an earthquake probably, aren't you they? You think so? I would imagine. They, Being they underground. can't fall down. <laughs> Uh, but I love public transportation. You know, Why don't you I, I do love that. Why don't, can you do Adam ruins L.A.? Because I would love to see that episode because people here they they don't 
even remember that there are earthquakes here anymore. Yeah. You know, I moved here back in the early 90s right after one of the biggest earthquakes we had, which really was kind of my, minor by comparison to what's yeah. probably going to happen. And everybody just thinks, yeah, like, okay, we'll dig things in the ground, tunnels, we'll make this hyperlink thing that goes all the way up to San Francisco <laughs> and shoot you up there like a hamster <laughs> in a tube. You know, ruin it for us. Tell us what's going to happen with that. But anyway, I, I, I don't want to get off this car thing. Yeah. I love this. You hate cars. Here's what here's what bothers me. But do you channel that into this episode? Yeah, is that it why is it channeled was the in. third episode yes. of your series? Because I had such a fire about it in, okay, in good. you know, uh, about it having moved to LA and being forced to engage with it. Because here's right. here's the thing, because as someone coming to it fresh, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to explain to someone who because most people grow up with it and then they expect it as part of their lives and and they're sort of like, "Wait, that's how you get around as a car, right?" I had lived in New York for 10 years where to get around the city all I'd need a hundred bucks a month to go anywhere in the city, mm-hmm. right? And uh, uh, the when to move here and to suddenly have you know to have to transition to like I had to buy a car, I had to get insurance, you know, I had to learn to drive, and then I had to like learn how to commute, you know, with the car. And every step of it, I was like, this is so much worse in every way. And, and not, and I understand if, if individual people say, hey, I, especially you know those of us who are who are well off and can and can afford all these things, say you know say, hey, I like it, I prefer it. That's fine if you prefer it. I don't argue with people who who prefer it and generally have no problem with it, but. As a mass transportation system, as a way to say everyone in the country needs to move around their own city, right? People at all levels of wealth. And have their own wealth. car, yes. Yeah. Like to do that, you've got to buy one of these things, which yeah. costs five figures. You've got to pay for the insurance. You've got to pay for gas. You're liable for killing people or hurting or, you know, mm-hmm. so you, that's why you need the insurance. It's a monstrous expense to expect of people. Like when you drive around L.A., and if you if you listen to like you know like a, like a radio station you know a lot of radio stations all of their ads are for like you know did you get an accident you need a lawyer like do you need a car right now but you can't <laughs> oh, afford I wish one Zuckerman like, was here like there's yeah, so friend many is making a lot of money on that business yeah there it's so clearly like this need that people have but it's so expensive that it's that it you know is taking well, so much of people's lives don't you lives, think it's you know? the freedom we we just want to be able to go where we want to go it's when we want to go free- there's no freedom with a car what are you My talking God. about. My God, my God. Look at me this morning. I was just telling you. I came here too early, and then I went home, and then I came back. The idea of freedom in a car (laughs) is such a hoax. It's such a scam. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How is it freedom? How is it freedom that in order to own one, you legally have to pay hundreds of dollars a month yeah. uh, in in insurance, or you can't drive it anywhere, right? Um, it, it, how, how is it freedom where it's not that to bad. It's own not that one, expensive. What do you you're say? talking about five figures with cars. I I bought cars for six hundred dollars. I when I when I moved when I moved here, my my uh, insurance uh, my insurance started at and this is because I had just learned to drive, but a lot right. of people just learned to drive. It was like three hundred dollars a month yeah. or something like that. It was insane. <laughs> and here here's I the thing: I was so happy to pay that. I couldn't believe I got to drive. So and even by the way, in New York, I had about four cars and a motorcycle. I, I, it's just a different thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a I, I'm wired differently. But I want to I want to get into the show part. Tell me about okay okay. Get, let's well, talk this is about part of sh- what we talk about on the show, right? Um, what? Because what, I'm sure you know things that I don't know about this. What are the big misconceptions about cars so that you put in thing, that episode? Okay, so the the big uh, the uh, one of the big specific ones that we do is about uh, car dealerships, um, and uh, we just sort of like look into the question of like why why is it so why does it suck so much to buy a car, right? Because I had my 
first experience going yeah, to buy it's terrible. one. It was it's, it it's was terrible. I got you know like uh, I didn't get yelled at. I heard someone get screamed at by a dealership who was buying a car. <laughs> they got screamed at by the manager because they had made an offer to piss the manager right, off. Right. Why is it like that? Um, it's be, why why can't you just go to the car store and you, it just says here's the car. I totally it says agree. seventeen grand on the side and you just you know swipe your card and you That's drive right. off with it. Why, why is it this you? bizarre system? And it's because um, car dealerships have uh, passed these sort of like ex- got, you know car dealerships tend in individual local areas to be powerful local businesses. You know, car dealerships mm-hmm. are the ones sponsoring the baseball teams. They're the ones, et cetera, right? Like the the car, the ownership owner of the car dealership is sort of the big man, right, in the town, right? So car dealerships always have a lot of local political power. They've gotten individual laws passed in ev- in every state around the country. It's not a federal uh, it, uh, that that make them the only way to sell cars. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, there was uh, uh, there's a really good episode of I think the uh, the podcast Planet Money about this where they interview the guy who tried to start, I think, True Car or CarMax. It was one of the two of them. And he literally just wanted to be a direct seller of cars. He was yes. like, I just want people to be able to go online, click buy, like buy Amazon like, buy for cars. Like an iPhone. And it exactly. was illegal to right. do that. You, you cannot can't, do that. You can't do it. And there's no reason other than that dealerships <clears throat> have these laws passed and they, they do it through They uh, want you to come in. They want to be able to sweat you and they want to sell you a lot of things yep. that you don't. Yep. And every time, by the way, every time I talk about this, and I totally agree and I've talked about it on Car Matchmaker. The dealers start attacking me. They go crazy. But the, the, the truth is there are some reputable dealers, and then there are some bad guys. Yep. I, my experience is like yours. I've had many, many bad experiences, and I don't set foot in dealerships anymore. <laughs> I do use – I would use a true car, but I also use brokers. I use those um, those services because of the system is rigged against you for the most part. Yep. Right, and the leverage is they have all the leverage, and you get screwed. So another another one we talk about on the show is, is parking, um, uh, and how okay. bad parking is for communities. Like having <laughs> having parking, people want parking spaces, and people especially want free parking. Right, right? they want to like they don't like to pay for a garage. You want to you want to look for a free parking mm-hmm. spot when you're mm-hmm. going somewhere. Right, uh, uh, that's actually disastrous for business areas for a couple of reasons. One is that because if you probably had this experience, drive to downtown LA, want to go see. You go shopping, go see a show, something like that. Hey, let's turn in here. Seven bucks to park. No, no, no. I want to find a parking spot, right? right? Because of that, because everyone's looking for the free parking lottery, people drive around and circle way, way more. So there's a there's this guy Donald Shoup, who's a who's a, a, a sort of you know planning a, a scholar um, uh-huh. who's famous for writing up his issue. He has a book called The Highest Cost of Free Parking. Um, so it causes people to circle. Um, it creates a large amount of traffic and wow. pollution, a measurable amount of traffic right, in downtown right. areas. And so. He his point is that the existence of free parking is causing a civic problem because you're not charging some people for the space that they're using, mm-hmm. you know. And so, as a result, um, it ca- you know it it you know creates all these negative effects. Another is so that, what's the solution? Uh, uh, the solution is to have less parking available and to charge more for it um, in order to. <laughs> sorry, but in order in order to in order to because another problem is parking is is uh, is a, is dead is a dead zone in right. terms of uh, you know if you go to. A parking lot is an empty – it's an economically empty space. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's They're uncomfortable to be in. They're ugly, and nothing is happening other than a place to store cars while they're asleep. You right, know? right. Um, and so uh, – uh, and a lot of buildings, a lot of build, you know, uh, city planning – you know, a lot of cities require too much free parking to be built. They say you must – if you want to build this building, you must have 300 spaces of free parking available. Um, uh, and so it creates like – you know, our city centers are sort of full of these huge empty spaces – 
mm-hmm. in which nothing is happening. Right, you know? and traffic's great. I, yes. one, I was just up in Monterey, and I had my old uh, Volkswagen police bug that has a PA horn on it. This is great, by the way. I have the ability to talk to people in traffic <laughs> through the PA horn, and I was behind those cars looking for the free parking. And I would say, there is none, and I would scream at them, and they would like that, and I would say, keep moving, you're not going to find a spot, and it would... The, uh, but the whole, you're right, the whole little uh, yep. city of Mon- uh, Carmel... Little town there was all shut down. Yes, and you're you're you're, you're still done. all right. What else? What else did we learn in that episode? So the main thing for me is that the uh, uh, America sort of made this decision about a hundred years ago. Um, to go with cars over public transportation, and we had a lot more public transportation than we do now. We had streetcars. We, you know, uh, mm-hmm. every city in the country basically. So this is Henry Ford's fault. Ha- had many, had many. Well, it's not. It, it's a lot of different forces' fault. It's, it's, uh, you know, corporate pressure. It's certain city planners. It's, it's, you know, cars. Ju- it was, you know, it's the public to some degree, right? But um, what happened was every city in the country had streetcars um, going all over the city, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and the streets were public places, right? Um, and uh, the rise of uh, cars caused the streetcars systems to collapse because the streetcars would get stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. There, there, where previously there had not been traffic. They had ruled the road, right? But suddenly there's all these cars everywhere. Now the streetcar systems are inefficient. Less people are taking them. So all the, all the streetcars disappear. Um, we start building highways everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And we went from a world in which, you know, uh, uh, there was public, tra- public transportation was the way that people got around um, their cities um, to one in which everyone is expected to buy a car um and that's is i think bad for people you know again if someone you know i'm not against car ownership or people who you know like like cars and like hey i prefer to drive it's fun for me yeah we're talking about something different you're talking about commuting and i'm talking about the way that people move around their city city, and that in order to move (laughs) around your city you're required to (laughs) you're required to buy one of these things pay for insurance you know and find a place to park it the amount of stress that people have Trying to find a place to park their car. I'm sure you don't because you have a garage, right? But like, if no, it, I deal with it constantly. It, I, it, having to move it, yeah, yeah. I can, I can park sweeping. my car at home. That's easy. The the amount of the amount of but where but here in LA cost and effort that went into when I when I came to LA mm-hmm. versus in New York where I was totally relying on public transportation. I'm like here just in order to move around. I got to buy one of these things, pay for insurance, move the thing twice a week. I'm constantly getting tickets. That's when happening I, here in LA. Yeah, well, LA never used to be like that. When it used I get to, be, to you know, it used to be open. We're turning into New York, and and that's the dirty secret of LA right now. It's, I, I we're love it. New Yorkifying this whole place. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of good that comes with it. Yeah. but there's just so many people all of a sudden. Yeah. That's what you're that's why it's oh, a little man. harder for you. Here's a misconception about here's a misconception about LA cuz people say my friends from New York would say this they oh I, I got to move to LA it's so much cheaper there. It is yeah. not cheaper No it's here. not. It is not. <laughs> LA has the highest some of the highest rent in the country. And it's uh, if you compare it to income, it's higher Adam than Adam ruins L.A. Here we go. Well, yeah, this is he's going to ruin it right now. Go keep going. And you what have else? to. And you have to. If you compare, so compared to you know rent compared to income or housing costs compared to income, highest in the country, L.A. Where right. where something huge number of people are paying spending half of their money on housing. You know, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. Uh, but then, if you combine that in, you know, with how much more it costs to move around the city, you know, again, New York, a hundred bucks a month, maybe a hundred twenty now, buys you an unlimited metro card. That's it. That's all you'll ever pay for transportation. Um, that's all I paid for ten years. Uh, here, it's you know, you have to buy the thing, insurance, gas, repairs, uh, tickets, etc. The cost is so much higher. So, so you end up spending more money when you come to Los Angeles. So, just what, what do you LA, do? But... How do you get around? You take the bus, really? Now I take. How, I, what is the bus experience? 
like when I you're caught take, in a I traffic jam bus, here. Man. First of all, the bus drivers here, the bus drivers here, they rule the road. These guys, like, yeah, no, that's they're true. Like, oh, <laughs> they like they, they drive faster than I will drive in my yeah, Prius any day. They're good. I, um, I respect them. And uh, you know, I take the there's a dash bus that goes right from my house to our production office. Uh-huh. It costs thirty five cents. Wow, <laughs> it costs thirty five cents. And and the bus driver like is friendly. He like knows he like knows everybody. He's like hello. <laughs> he waits for me if, I, if he sees you running. He'll wait. You know. And the people are like, there's like old grandmas get on the bus. Kids going to school. And now, so that's my. So preference. how do you get to the airport? Uh, I take a li- I take a lift. You take a lift, right? <laughs> so I mean, I will say it would be impossible what I'm describing. You know, so me and my girlfriend went down to one car. You okay. know, we had two, and then she had one of those Volkswagens that cheated on the diesel, right? And so they bought her car back. She made money on the car because she yeah, drove it for three course. years, and they bought it back mm-hmm. full price. But so we were like, let's just not get another car, and we split it. And we either take the bus or 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 we take lifts. And, if and it how long for- have you been doing this? Uh, we've been doing this for about eight months now, and um, it's okay. I love it. I love. It. I feel so much more like myself when I'm on when I'm on public transportation. What about now, when that's you... me personally. I don't say everyone has to. It, I know people. A lot of people have bad, uh, you know, experiences with public transportation, or that makes <clears> them uncomfortable. No, I I, I like them. You just you know, yeah. I I adapt to whatever I use. You know, when I owned mm-hmm. a motorcycle, there was it just was limited with what I could do. But I figured out different ways to strap stuff to my bike. When you got to move stuff around here, yeah, it, what are you doing? Well, like when you, you say you got to bring a couple cases of beer over to your friend's party Sure. You know, what do you do? Well, you, you could you put lo- those, You're you, lugging that stuff in the bus? You I can mean, put that on the trunk of a lift as well. Or, you know, again, I, <laughs> right. we still have I one car true. that I use sometimes. Right. But how often How how often are you moving things? You know, like I understand Me if constantly. you're – constantly. I'm lo- moving stuff all the time. I never move moving anything. my garage door opener <laughs> later this afternoon <laughs> and putting a new one in. You know uh, what I've been using, by the way? This complete tangent here is uh, Postmates. Do you know those guys? I don't use – I do do a lot of delivery though. But I do, uh, Postmates is Postmates. They're is very like convenient. the Uber drivers when they're not Uber or lifting, will go pick your food up and yes. bring it to your house faster yes. than most delivery services. Yes, it's great. <laughs> I mean, that the, you know, all those services you know certainly help. I mean, like L.A., the degree to which, uh, man, uh, do I have you know plenty of problems with Uber and Lyft, but I use them because the service they provide makes L.A. a livable city. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, like, right. I'm like, I, I can't imagine Do you have a good before. driver rating? I, my, my Uber rating's really low. I oh, is why. it? Yeah. I don't know what my rating is. I've been is. trying to, get it, what it to get it up. Well, you press your little account thing and you'll see what it is. Oh, I didn't know And that. I was down. I was close to going under four. Ooh. And I talked to my wife about it. She goes, I'm surprised it's that high. <laughs> true spike. I just You're like... not nice in the car. I don't even talk. I don't even say it. She goes, that's not nice. You got to talk to them. You got to be nice. The, the, the thing I like Do you talk about... to your Uber driver? I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like this is my time. If they're, if I'm, they're, now I'm forced to make conversation with them. You know what? It's a them. little bit like an open mic where right. where it's like if they are able to win me over in the first moment <laughs> that they say, you know. Uh, but like when an Uber, so an Uber goes, Uber driver goes like. So, what do you got going on this weekend? <laughs> right. God that's damn just, it. That's you a little don't, too open-ended. You're not going to care. Why are you asking a question you don't care about the but answer But also, to? too, do you really want your guy who's on television now, do you really want to start telling the Uber driver what you're up to this yeah. weekend? I, I don't – there's Working. a lot I don't want to say to that person. Yeah. Right? I stuck, I've got a little bit better at saying when they ask me a question, like, like so, you know, so what do you do for work? That I, where I'm just like, I don't want to get into it. I just say, I don't want to talk about it. And yeah. Then, <laughs> say, oh, okay. <laughs> It's fine. Yeah, and they don't see. I do that same thing. And, I don't. And I don't know. Rude about people it, I just... are confused by that moment. But what they fail to understand is, this business is very stressful. Yeah. And then for it's not a vanity thing. It's not like you're trying to be. It's you don't. 
in this moment, you want to relax. You don't yeah, want to be thinking about because if I start telling everybody what I'm doing and what I'm up yeah. to, I'm going to start to stress out. And yeah. it's not going to be a pleasant experience yeah. for me. That's what that moment's about. I like to ask the Uber driver about uh, – I ask them about road rage all the time. Mm. I go, what's the most fucked up thing that's happened this week to you? And they always have a good story there. Yeah. Because they, they're on the front lines. They're on the yeah. road. They're doing that's a it. Rough, that's, a rough, uh, that's a rough life. It's funny that we did a um, – we did a whole segment on our show about tipping and why uh-huh. tipping is specifically restaurant tipping is a bad well, 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 system. Wait, well, well, Uber tipping. Do you know anything about that? Because yeah. I, I thought the Uber driver was paid a tip, and now I get this thing that says, "Do you want to leave him an additional tip?" Yeah. What What's that? Well, uh, so the, the I st- I switched to Lyft from Uber, right? Basically because of the tips, and it's because I'm like, man, these people are underpaid, and I just want to pay them more. Right. You know, I'm okay. in a I'm a fortunate pos- situation where I can I can afford to pay a little bit more and so I prefer to um, because that's you, you know like the, the but ri- is the Uber driver already tipped? Uh, the Uber was founded on the premise the CEO of Uber was obsessive about this idea that like um, uh, the the tip should be rolled into the price right, right? But um, and I and honestly, I was on board with that for the first couple of years. I think most people were like, "Oh, we like you don't it. have to tip. It's great. It's just a flat fee." You just which leave. is which is that's how I think restaurant servers should be paid. Right, right, right. Um, like I think that that they should they should get you know a proper twenty dollars an hour mm-hmm. or something, and then the food should be more expensive, so that you're not having to sit there with your uh, with your friends trying to calculate a tip, or, or it's, it should right. be up to me whether the person is paid well. Yes. You know? I don't think that's a good system. I think people should just be paid well for the work they do, and that should be reflected in the price. You Though know? I waited it's tables not... for many years and bartended, you're you're living for that big tip that night. A couple yeah. of, bit, you know what I mean. You shouldn't be. Living I don't want to be that. restricted that way. I don't think that's good labor practices. <laughs> I don't. think I that... loved it because then it was up. To, it was into my control. If I did this the right way, I would make a lot of money, and it worked. And that, now if, they, if it were a flat fee, I would, I would definitely not make as but much here's money. But here's the weird shit. There's a lot of stuff in what – I don't know about bartenders, but there's been a lot of research on like mm-hmm. what causes waiter and waitresses to, to receive bigger tips, and it's random things. It's like people like tip – people will tip a measurable amount less if it's a rainy day. Stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and so there's all of these things. It makes your income so variable. you know. Right, and again, I right. understand if someone says, hey, I like it, or especially I know some people, big high-rolling bartenders who work in Vegas or something, say, hey, I make a ton of money. That may be true for right. tips. You know? right. But for your average, for your diner waitress, you know what I mean, for your coffee shop person, it's like just pay them. Well, wait. We're, we're, let's talk about the Uber so, guy. You still didn't so, answer that. What is so the, what what I, the, what what the built-in tip? What is so, that built-in tip? What, what's funny is that – I think people were able to accept that from Uber at first. They're like, oh, hey, they're just paying them a flat fee. We you don't have a tip. Yes. That's great. Over the last three years, people have begun to realize how underpaid those people are and right. how like how much Uber is like screwing them as a <laughs> as a bit you know, yes. like like how like how shitty the gig economy <clears throat> yes. really is. And so so I and most people I know are like, I just want to tip these people because I need to use the service. Got it. But I wanna I want to make sure that they're paid well mm-hmm. and like assuage some of my guilt, and that's where it that's where it came from. So now you have, well, what were they getting originally? Do you know what percentage of the ride they were getting originally? Uh, I don't know Was what it, I don't know what. It, but here's the thing: Uber changes the rates just constantly, and right, the drivers right. have to accept whatever Uber gives them, and mm-hmm. they don't have any choice in it. So Uber just says, "Hey, we're in a price war with Lyft right now. We're going to cut rates." You know, well, and what suddenly about, everyone's making less money. What about flying money. cars? How do you feel about flying cars? Flying cars? Well, <laughs> we, I think we have them. They're called planes, <laughs> helicopters. No, there's a there's a middle ground that they're I promising that, us in the future. I, I actually do. This. 
this, this is part of my act. The audience never quite likes it as much as I do, but it is part of my act. Where it's like people have this de- desire of like, I want a flying car. It's like we have them. They're called planes. You could take flying lessons. Right. What you're saying is it's the future. Why don't I just get to be a pilot? Well, I'm sorry. There's qualifications to this. Right, and right. you got in a fender bender with your Honda Civic the other week. Maybe you shouldn't be allowed to take this thing off the ground. Right. Like, no, but people we just no, want to be easy we want. for them. I'm on the 10, right? I'm, I'm on the 10. Suddenly, there's traffic jam up ahead. You want ahead. the car commercial. You want I to take press off. a button, and I take off. And I'm <laughs> flying around wherever Wow. Wow. So, so what you really want is you want a car that actually gives you freedom, unlike your current car yes, where you're stuck in traffic. I want a Jetsons mobile. And I want to go wherever I want to go, when I want to go, and then I want to here's drive the, in it. Here's the interesting thing. People are so... People say, I love driving. You know, they say, oh, I love driving. No, I love my car. But then if you say, how about, uh, how about a self-driving car? They're like, yes, give, me, give it to me now. Sure. They will sign up immediately to not do the thing anymore that they claim to love. Right. You know? Well, it's – but that – you know, that's a misconception too. That's a button you push. Mm-hmm. So it's like cruise control. When you're tired, when you don't feel like driving, you sure. let the car drive. That's what it'll be. When you're sitting yeah. in traffic. I let actually, me turn this off so I can finish my book. I actually have a theory, and, and this is not – you know, a research-based Adam ruins everything fact, but we actually looked into it on the show and we we're like, ah, we, research isn't there to do the topic on it. But I believe that all that the majority of these companies that are doing self-driving cars mm-hmm. is, um, I don't think the technology is as far along as they are claiming that it is, mm-hmm. because what they constantly do, all these companies. Google, Uber's done it. They do these tech demos. They they set up this environment that's a controlled environment, like in Mountain View, California, or in like Pittsburgh or whatever. And then they bring the press in to ride in the car in the mm-hmm. controlled environment with an engineer in the car, and they get all this great press. Like, ooh, yeah, we're doing self-driving cars, right? But um, but I think it's very very far from actually hitting the streets in any meaningful way. You know, what, what, it'll look more like, when it happens. It'll look more like what Tesla does or whatever, where it's like a little bit of cruise control, like you right, say. Right. But the idea of the robot car that drives without any assistance, I believe that all these companies are presenting the idea that they are the leader in the space because it gets the investors all horny because mm-hmm. the investors are like that's whoever wins that race is going to be the trillion dollar company of 2050 right, right? and so there so Uber, Apple, Google, all of these companies like why is Google making self-driving cars? They're a Didn't search they engine company. Didn't they already they stop? Make, they sell ads next to <laughs> next to search engine. Yeah. Why are they doing this? It's it's in order to give the impression yeah. that they're the I company might of the be future. Right with them. Sure. Elon Musk does the same thing, but he does it with his shit about going to Mars. Right. He's like, we're going to Mars. Go fuck yourself. I'm no, sorry. Can I swear that badly on this? You just yeah. You can say whatever you want, but I love hearing the go guy fuck gives Elon. a PowerPoint. He gives a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, he's going I've to got Mars. a plan to go to Mars, and everyone believes it. Like I believe, him. I could give a PowerPoint about how I'm going to Mars too. You know, you don't believe him. I, I, I will believe. I will applaud for him when he sets foot on Mars. When he, when Adam, he gets, I'll be like, oh hey, God. he did it. Adam but just ruined Elon Musk. I'm not gonna. The guy, like, this is, I've been waiting for this episode. The, the guy does so much. All these tech guys, but right? he's, all so, these he's tech such an people, interesting force of of something. He's an interesting guy, but I'm, but I've noticed the pattern. And in look the what he's done. Look, look, look what he's done for the electric car. He's done. He's done. Now Tesla may not be a viable company soon, and maybe they're going to have to pivot to something else. But he really has transformed the automotive he's, industry. He's kickstarted it, and but, clean, and in, in the process, perhaps cleaned up the air. Just there's going to be less exhaust in if, the world. If 
if it actually happens. That's the thing. People say... Well, every manufacturer is rolling out electric cars now. Volvo's saying they're phasing out internal combustion and engines. And that's great. And that's a great... That's a great... Uh, th- that is a great advancement. He's completely bonkers, but his craziness has but people, had some... But it frustrates me how much the tech industry... Um, Elon Musk included mm-hmm. uh, tries to get credit for things that they haven't done yet. They try to make they make concept videos. Yes, they 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 the disruptive idea that God. they throw out. Yeah, and, and, and right. Th- and and but and I like people, that. And people buy it and they think it's going to happen. And and Elon Musk is a master of it. He is a yes, master of going he out and he'll go out and give an interview. and He's like, I think we're living in a simulation. And people are like, Elon Musk said we're living in a simulation. <laughs> he read one. He read one. Robots are going to kill us. Half read one. Robots are about to kill us all. It's like. It's like what based on what is he th- he's he makes cars. This is great. He started Yes, go at him. He he half invented PayPal <laughs> and he's made a couple million oh dollar my cars. Gosh. That's it. That's all he's done so far. Right. So he's there's there's nothing else I to I can't believe he's railing against Elon Musk. I wouldn't st- think that he would be your hero. He's fine. Look, I again the the Teslas <laughs> that he's made yes. are wonderful cars. Yes. So and he half invented PayPal. Yes. Those are the two <laughs> things. Good job. Good job on those things. Right. He has not yet made a hyperloop. He has not yet gone to Mars. Right. And his did you see his his, his... Would you by the way, would you go cuz I was talking a few weeks ago to Matt Farah who's a car guy. He said he would go in the hyperloop. He would test it. Would you would you go in that thing and be fired if up it to were, San Francisco? If it actually were built, but uh, <laughs> like it, it, what what bothers me is when he does stuff like you know, they're working on high-speed rail in California right now. Yeah. They're trying to actually build it, mm-hmm. you know. In the middle of that, Elon Musk comes around. He's like, hey, uh, how about the – I invented this Hyperloop. Now, I read like a civil engineer read his original Hyperloop plan. This was like four or five years ago mm-hmm. when it first came out. It was written on um, a cop- cocktail napkin, right? Yeah, it was-, it was not done. He was like, I've got this idea, and people are like – Oh, we should do that instead of the train. It's like, hold on a second. Let, this guy is not. This guy's not a civil engineer. Right. Like he just had half an idea, and he's right. presenting it as though, as though it's done. You I know? see. I see. His 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 boring machine. Th- oh my god! The thing where he, <laughs> the thing where he said he tweeted. I got verbal government approval to build a hyperloop. But did you see this? I saw that between New York, D.C., Pittsburgh. I believed it. All is those that not cities. True? All those cities. We're like, first of all, all the mayors of all the cities were like, we have never heard of this. <laughs> he tweeted, I got verbal government. Second of all, what the hell is verbal government approval? What is that? There's no such thing as verbal government approval. Did he go have dinner with Mike Pence? And Mike Pence was like, sounds tight, Elon. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, man, sounds good. That's what I tell somebody who I want to mm-hmm. stop talking to. Like, it's a great plan. Let's do it next. Hey, text me. You know what I mean? Right. What what is that? He's he's constantly writing checks that he has that he has yet to cash, you know? Wow. Um and so I will give him like again, I will give him credit for anything that he actually does. Um but this he made I have a SpaceX pen and I love it. It's really <laughs> cool. It's got the little rocket on it. I forgot it. about SpaceX. SpaceX is also a thing that <clears throat> has launched and landed again and I'll give him credit for that too. Yeah, where it landed on the platform. That was impressive. Very... Do you think maybe he's just guiding his people? He's putting forth these challenges to them. I it's... think there's a little bit of that. I I agree that I right. think I think you need a little Which bit Which is of... important I... for for a company but I think you need a little bit. He's also doing it to us, though. That's the, the and what you're he saying. plays the press like a fiddle, and yeah. he says he says these things that you know are designed to get a lot of press coverage. Just mm-hmm. him tweeting, "I got that that have no actual basis or real plan <laughs> behind them," you know. Right. Um, and and they're all for his own self-aggrandizement, you know, like right. like they they uh, uh, and so that's what that's what. Well, he did get me a hot girlfriend it. out of it. 
There you go. Well, Johnny Depp girl. I think that might have been his goal. And 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 that's impressive you know. for a nerdy guy. Like we're all nerdy guy. Look what he got. Look, and I, and also some some of the ideas are fundamentally wrong headed. Like he has this. So his idea for the boring drill, right? For the boring company. Okay. Is that what is that? So, I don't even know what you're talking. Okay. About. So he 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 he's done this thing where he's where he tweeted like I'm. I'm sick of traffic. I'm going to buy a boring machine and start digging tunnels in L.A. Okay. Um, and that's what he did. <laughs> and he made this video about how his plan is to eliminate traffic by – did you see this concept video? No. It's, so what the video is, it shows a car, and the car drives to onto this little metal sled that like is where like a, a parking space might be on a city street. Right? Okay. The sled descends into the earth – Right, where it enters this sort of underground track, like yeah. a train track, and it starts zooming around at very high speed next to a lot of other cars. Right, they're right. all zooming around, and the idea is that then the the car pops out again, you know, somewhere else. So if I'm trying to go to Echo Park for to Beverly Hills, right, right. I go on a little sled, I drive my car onto a little sled, it goes underground, it goes like that, right. and then in Beverly Hills it pops back out again, and then I drive the last couple miles to mm-hmm. to where you live. So what he is just propose, <laughs> what he's proposing is that. Instead of public transportation for people, instead of building subways, we build a subway system for cars to ride on. Right? Does that is that not the <laughs> stupidest thing you've ever heard? Just be, we've already solved this. It's called trains. Just build trains, man. Like that's, that's the what earthquake. we need. Again, he's not taking the earthquake into consideration. That's, we have our own different the hot the lava beds, the magma that exists underneath L.A. It was, it's a complete so, disaster in the making. The people that would just fall, you know, riding their bikes and fall into that hole and then be shot out to Beverly Hills. Look, well, I love it. I love this. Uh, I love this level of frustration with Elon Musk. <laughs> I had not expected it. The you know the Tesla but we, great thing, but I just stop. Just like is it a great thing? It, sure. It it. It definitely is cool, but I feel like they've reached their their. Th- we, you know. al- we also did a segment about how this is one of the most controversial segments we've done on our show about electric cars, and we did. Um, this is was, this the argument that it that makes more pollution making the car? It's it's not that it, that is the argument. Now it's not that all electric cars do that in all situations. Mm-hmm. It's that if your goal is to I want to reduce my carbon footprint, right? It is. Very, very, very difficult to be sure that buying an electric car will actually do that. Um, if you drive, uh, like I do, a hybrid, you know, um, and it's a perfectly well-working hybrid, and you replace it with an electric car, um, you are because of all the emissions that go into making the car, um, uh, and also depending on the, uh, the, you know, the electricity grid where you live, right? Mm-hmm. In a large number of states, it's you know, it's coal fired. Is it more about grid. making the battery, or is it more about, about charging about, the car? It's about the because if the, if the battery is made in China, it's about the emissions of every single thing that go into making the car, right? right. It's mining. But where are material. those emissions? Like they're here, if distributed we're cl- across the world. You know, they're well, they're like all right. Everything that you hold in your hand. <laughs> I don't mean to sound rude, but or selfish. As long as it's not in L.A., I kind of don't care if it happens <laughs> well, somewhere else. I don't know if you understand how global warming works. It affects the whole planet. Oh, please. So I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my my kids, and like if my air is cleaner, then I'm helping to keep L.A. clean, even mm-hmm. if perhaps Taiwan's getting a lot dirtier. Well, L.A. is you know it's pretty close to the coast, and so the <laughs> water level, you know, like the the Emissions in Taiwan will cause our sea right. levels to rise here. So, the, so wait, the, are you saying that, that if we become an electric car culture in the United States, we're going to have uh, more pollution in the air? No, that's not true. But if we convert 
the entire, you know, if if we convert everyone to electric cars, right? Now that will be a benefit, right? Mm-hmm. If in fifty years everyone's driving electric cars, but the benefit won't be as big as we think it is. Um, uh, you know, it it will be a step in the right direction, but it is nothing compared to say, you know, investing more in public transportation, et cetera. Um, uh, the other part is the degree to which you personally do a good deed by buying an electric car, right? Is overstated by the advertisements. You know, when you look at electric car ads, they're always like, "Man, when you buy th- this Nissan Leaf, you are hugging a polar bear." You know, right, that, right. like, like that is the equivalent of hugging a polar bear. <laughs> and the fact is, if you've got like, you know, like a lot of people replace their cars after three years. You know, if you replace a perfectly good working car that quickly with an electric car, you're not helping the environment, you're hurting the environment. Right. You should, if you have a reasonably efficient car, you know, if you got an SUV or an old junker that's getting 10 miles a gallon, yeah, sure, you know, replacing is probably a good idea, right? But if you've got a 2010 Prius, right, or even, I don't know, a, a, a Honda Civic that's, you know, pretty efficient, that, that's, you know, that's still working well, you should drive it into the ground before you buy a new car. You would, <laughs> you would save more carbon emissions by doing that. Wow. And that's, especially depending if you live in West Virginia, mm-hmm. where, which is all coal, that's 100% true you know if you live somewhere that's all you know whatever uh, uh waterfall power uh you know you're you're better off but so those are condi- those are the concerns that people don't take into account when they're buying electric cars it's not that electric cars are bad it's that they are ambiguously not as good as we think they are and it's and the reason we made that argument is the truth is that that's true of anything that you might individually do to lower your carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. If you buy a – say, hey, I'm going to buy the green product in the supermarket aisle. You know, I'm going to you know, uh, do this. Uh, the, the fact is the degree to which we can stop global warming by buying better stuff – is vastly overstated. You can't right. solve global right. warming by buying better stuff. We we <laughs> talked about that. We talked about that in relation to electric cars on our show because that's right. sort of the see, most vivid example. But like, it's a global problem that we have to have global solutions to. Um, and you know, we need to we need to address it on like a national, international level. We can't sh- we can't individually shop our way out of the problem. It's not the kind of thing that. If everyone just makes better choices, we've been sold this idea in America that, like, if everyone individually makes better choices, we can solve global problems like climate change. We can't. You can't. You have to do it. You have to do it to a certain extent from the top down. That's what research shows. And the and the really the really terrible part is that at the end of that episode, that episode came out. Um, we we shot it last summer, and the end was well. You know, we always do a positive takeaway at the end of our show. The positive side of it is, hey, guess what? We are making that progress on an international level because of the Paris Agreement. The Paris Agreement <laughs> is the shining beacon for we shot this summer of 2016. The Paris Agreement is so, is that is the best reason for hope that we have. It shows international cooperation is possible and it really is the best, you know, the the the, the be- uh, humanity showing that we can do it and well, we all know what happened. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we all do. Well, there it is everybody. Adam Conover. Adam ruined a lot of stuff in this episode. Hey, thank he ruined, you so much for having me. He ruined me. Elon Musk. He ruined <laughs> electric cars. Um, fantastic. It was really fun having you here. Hey. I want to have you back. I want to load you up with a bunch more questions. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast thank and ruining it, Thank you so much it, for man. having me, Spike. Oh, wait, wait. Let's promo the show before we go. Yeah. It's uh, Wednesdays? What Tuesdays. Night is it? Tuesdays at 10 o'clock. On True TV. On True TV. Yep. 
Eastern Time, Pacific Time. Those of you in the Central District, you got to figure it out on your own. I, right? th- I think people are used to it. <laughs> if you live in Central, you know to do it Nobody yourself. Nobody tunes in anymore. You I always get these things yeah. to tune in time. We just we search it and we record but it. But also, right? people That's in it. Central, they're not going like if you say it's on at 10 p.m. They're not saying like, "Where's the night Central? <laughs> what do I watch it?" They're like, they know they're an hour off. That's right. Daily Show comes on at 10 for them. They Give know us that. Some, uh, the Greenwich Mean people, the ones who need the most time. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Want to know why Attack Each Day was on top of the iTunes charts in its first week? What the hell's going on around here? I ripped my headphones off, spun around, and flinged them. I turned around, and my dad is like three inches from my face. And he says, go get them. Gentlemen, we're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Brought to you by Podcast One Sports. Hear Jim Harbaugh, Jack Harbaugh, and JT Rogan share their stories every Tuesday on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, and podcast1.com.